0: sermon. I know it's difficult when we fast, but uh, I think that this was a necessary thing, a thing that we should be doing, that God would have us do, and I want to explain that a little more today. I covered some things in Bible study uh, last week, and I don't want to just repeat that. There will be a little bit of repetition here, I'm sure, but uh, primarily I want to go through and show some things that God says he will do if we will do what we will do, or should do. Let's go to the book of Joel. And I don't want to take the time to go through chapter 1, verse by verse, but here it's talking about the famine and pestilence that would come on the land, and the various bugs and beetles and uh, predators would eat everything up so that we would have terrible famine. And I gave a sermon about Joel 1 and 2, I think it was Pentecost of 97, uh, in Church of the Great God, in which I went through and showed what was going on in the church, and at the conclusion of that sermon, which I gave in the morning, uh, John Reitenbaugh thought things over and decided he should call a fast uh, as a result. Uh, and that one was entitled Joel, Peter, and the End-Time Church, which showed that when the New Testament church began in Acts 2, that all kinds of miracles occurred. And Peter said, well, this must be Joel 2 coming to pass. But it was not. Uh, He preached that. Now, maybe in a minor fulfillment, it was. But Joel is set in the time of the day of the Lord, and the events that would lead up to God taking a direct hand in what is going on on the earth and bringing this age to a full climax. So Peter was perhaps a bit uh, premature, and in one sense, maybe I was, as late as 1997. Uh, It does say here, to blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. That's in chapter 2. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the eternal comes, for it is near at hand. Now, I gave that sermon more from the perspective, and I think it was 97, of the spiritual famine, pestilence, disease, and captivity coming upon the church. And that was the main part of the message, is about the church and about what we were going through. Because in 97, uh, the church was still in its death throes, if you will. Uh, It hadn't really started coming apart in big sections until 92, 93, and we were still dealing emotionally with the fallout from that. And the Minor Prophets series, which I started sometime after that, dealt with the Minor Prophets from the standpoint that they are written first to the church, secondarily to the world, or to spiritual Israel, than to physical Israel. And I think in that sermon that I talked more about the church per se, and certainly will have much reference to that today. But I was just thinking before coming up here that things have changed a lot since 1997. This is 2008. That's nearly 11 years ago. And what I was saying about the church at that time, we could see all around us as it began to scatter. But now we are on the threshold of those very things happening in this nation. It's not any longer something that is a prophecy for the future. It is something that we are now beginning to experience. So it calls for sounding an alarm in the Holy Mountain, in chapter 2. It talks about God taking a hand and the terrible wars that are going to occur on this earth. Verse 12, it says, Therefore also now, says the eternal, as you see the day of the Lord coming, you see the clouds gathering, because it is a day of darkness and gloominess and clouds. Terrible time. Worst time that has ever been on the earth. Therefore also now, at that time, when you see those things beginning to shape up, says the eternal, Turn you even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your heart, and not your garments. Not just an outward show, but from the inside out. Rend your heart of sin, of uncleanness, of impurities, of anything that is ungodly. Turn to the Eternal, your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and relents him of the evil. We just heard in the sermonette at the end of it that God is to be worshipped in spirit and in truth, and we usually quote it and stop there. Gordon did not. He went on and read the rest, which I was happy to see. It said, for God seeks that kind of people. He's looking for that kind of people. God is not a mean ogre up there just wanting to hurt people. God is looking for people who will serve him and obey him. That's the kind he cherishes, the kind that he shows special affection for, the kind that he will bless. And there are precious few of them. You can be, I can be, any one of us can be one of those we have to do what he says here, to turn to it with our whole heart and to rend our heart, to wring out of it that which is evil and impure and not right. That's not easy for humans to do. That's why it is accompanied by fasting with prayer, with weeping even. Because if any of us is honest with himself about some of the thoughts, the feelings the wrong things that can go through our minds at times, and sometimes nothing but wasted time. Sometimes maybe there's nothing going through your mind. It's just blank, empty time. Now, we do need time, I suppose, to regather ourselves, but we're going to be brought into account for all our thoughts. So if we're honest with ourselves, there are all kinds of selfish, inward narcissistic, uh, me-first thoughts that go through our minds. And we have to be loving, outgoing, serving, giving, kind, and loving to others. And that's not easy for human beings to do. It's natural, it's carnal, it's normal as a human being to be selfish to the core. But that's something we all have to fight And we have various ways of showing our selfishness. Take care of me first and what I want to be and what I want to think and what I want to have. It's so easy. Well, God says he's looking for people who will worship in spirit and in truth. They'll have the right attitude and do it truthfully. He wants that kind. And he says, who knows if he'll return and relent. So he says then in verse 15, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. The Zion is the church. They're the only ones that are going to listen anyway. Gather the people. All right, we're gathered together here on the Sabbath. Sanctify the congregation. Set it apart. That's what sanctify means. Set it apart for holy use to God. That's what we're here to do. We're fasting to put self away and set ourselves apart for God's use in his end-time work that is just ahead of us and already starting. Assemble the elders. They're here. Gather the children. Children are here. And those that suck the breasts, little babies, we even have little baby. I guess they're all getting past that, but they're all, the little ones are here. Let the bridegroom forth out of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. They were thinking about getting married, said forget about it for now, let's get on with what needs to be done, let's turn to God with our whole heart. Even something as important as marriage is not really important when these things begin to happen. Now maybe there will be a time once God gathers his people together that there can be marriages, and even children, and then we have three and a half years in a place of safety if we qualify to be there, so there may be time for that. But he's saying, when you see the famine, the pestilence, the war coming, it's time to even forget about marriage plans for the moment and be sure you focus on what needs to be focused upon. This is pretty serious. In other words, disrupt whatever is going on in your life to be sure you get it right with God. You can't have a happy marriage without God being there anyway. Not the right kind of marriage that he wants you to have. Because human beings don't do well at marriage without God involved. They just don't. It breaks up. It has problems. Let the priests and ministers of the eternal weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O eternal, and give not your heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? This is coming on us. It's coming on this nation. One-third will die of famine and pestilence, starve to death and die of disease. One-third will die of the sword, killed, ripped up with bullets and swords and bombs. One-third are going into captivity and be slaves of Gentiles and that could even be worse than dying. And most of them will die there. Only a small remnant will survive what is coming on America in the next months and years. As we sit here today, there are already food riots breaking out in some small countries around the world. Gasoline is going up very rapidly. The price of milk and bread is going up very rapidly. They are talking that there will be shortages of food globally this year. They cannot grow enough to feed the whole world for various reasons, and I won't go into all that. But it is here and upon us. We read of a financial crash in Zephaniah 1 that will come on Israel and it appears that we are now in the midst of that crash. Now, how long it will lean outward like a wall, as Isaiah 29 says, before it falls suddenly, I do not know. But it's certainly leaning further and further. One of the biggest mortgage companies in the nation failed Friday. Had to be bailed out with $2 billion from another company in the Federal Reserve, our tax dollars, bailing out a private company there'll be more of this because Zephaniah says we will build houses but will not inhabit them or not dwell in them. Isaiah 5 says our houses will be taken away from us. They're talking on the news very openly about this. One man said last night in a commentary about the financial situation that the dollar will go to zero value in the world. This was on CNN, no not CNN, I think it was on CNBC. But The major news news media now is even saying things of this nature. The dollar is dropping against the euro very rapidly. It's becoming worthless. And as it drops in value, we will pay more and more and more in prices for everything. Because imports will cost more. I used to go to Europe and I felt pretty good because I could spend my dollar And it was worth more than a euro. Now it's only worth a pittance. It takes $1.55, $1.56 nearly, as of Friday, to buy a euro. And it's dropping every day, or almost every day. It's headed downhill anyway. You see, Joel was written thousands of years ago, so when do you know to call a fast? Well, when you see these things happening, there are Americans who are going to start starving to death in the months, in the next, I don't know how long it's going to take. Year, two, I don't know. But it's imminent. Price of wheat, corn, going up very rapidly. Everything is. Pretty soon, your paycheck will not be enough to get you to work and to feed you both and make your house payable. Won't be able to do it. It's already getting there for a lot of Americans. So this time that Joel is speaking about is now upon us. It was there in the church when I gave that first sermon. Now it's upon the nation. Those words we read back in Hosea, Joel, and Amos in the Minor Prophet series are now coming to pass not just on the church, but on the nation. I think that it is proving that that approach to these scriptures was absolutely correct. So, what about us? He says that we should pray that the heathen not rule over us. Are you ready? for Gentile people who hate our living guts to come into this country and begin to put the sword to us and to take the ones that are healthy as slaves, abuse them sexually if they're women, rape them cruelly, and then make them into slaves. Are you ready for that? Our girls and women in this country like to show off their bodies. God says, you like to show them, I'm going to show them to the whole world. They're going to strip your clothes off, brutally rape you, kill you, or make a slave of you. God is going to bring upon our heads what we are. I think it's ironic in a way. I was watching some of this story that just hit about Barack Obama, presidential candidate, He's been going to this one church for over 20 years, and they've had clips now of the preacher and all of the things that he's said about this country, God damn America, and so on, and about the rich white men who are destroying this country. And you've probably seen some of those. They've been all over the news the last day or two. And now Barack Obama's saying, well, this man is now off my steering committee of my campaign, and I didn't hear all those things he said. Now, he went to that church for 20 years. 20 years and didn't hear that stuff? Now, you haven't been coming to this one that long, but you pretty know where I'm coming from, don't you? By now? He just happened to miss those Sundays when that guy said those things. If you believe that, you'll drink your own bath water. Come on. He knows where he's coming from. He's a personal friend. He's on his steering committee. So he's distancing himself from this man who says that things are evil and bad in America. Well, now, let's look at this for a moment. Those, those things that that man, as that preacher is saying, are inflammatory. They're very incendiary to the peoples of this land and the reporters and the politicians, aren't they? But you know what I think Barack Obama ought to do? I think he ought to say that preacher was right. This nation is being controlled by people who are doing it in. Now, he shouldn't have the racist flavor in there, but it is the rich white men, for the most part, who are doing it. Where is the leadership? that a presidential candidate of this country ought to have. Why can't he stand up and say, we're a nation of sinners. We're a nation of greedy, crooked, lying, cheating politicians. Politicians who use expensive call girls and use public funds to pay for it. And then the call girls get offers from magazines to show their bodies and book offers and make millions as a result. And the girl involved with the governor of New York is already making millions off this story which only hit a week ago. They're buying her music off her website. They're making layouts in magazines of her naked body and offering her contracts of all kinds. Is this nation upside down or what? And that's just last night and this week that we're talking about. If Barack Obama wants to lead this land, he needs to get this book out and tell people what's wrong and back up a minister who will say what's wrong, taking out the racial side of it. I won't say everything that man this preached is right. It isn't. But a lot of what he's saying is correct about this country. Now, you're not going to hear anybody say that on the news. You're going to hear the man vilified, knocked down, put aside, and politicians will try to distance themselves from him. At least he has a strong message that there are things wrong in this country. He may not come in from exactly the right slant, but at least he has that much but it will be denied. Just as anyone who stands up and says, we need to repent of our sins, is going to be rejected. Israel has always rejected the prophets or anyone who would do that. So there's nothing new under the sun. Now, I don't want this just to be a sermon about sin and repentance. I think we understand that we have a long way to go to be what we need to be before God. But I want to make at least a lot of it positive from the standpoint of what can be. Okay? We have to do our part. We have to fast and pray and cry and rend our hearts and wring the sin and the wretchedness and the selfishness out of them. All right, let's go to verse 18. Says, if you do this, then, as a result, in other words, then will the eternal be jealous for his land and pity his people. Now, the only ones who are going to listen, the only ones who have a chance to listen, are you, who are part of the church of God, who might listen. He says, "Blow the trumpet in Zion, in the church. Maybe those people will listen. He'll pity his people. Yes, the eternal will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you corn and wine and oil, and you shall be satisfied therewith, and I will no more make you a reproach among the heathen. He'll remove the army and the fighting Promise, Verse 21, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the eternal will do great things. Be not afraid, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring, for the tree bears her fruit, the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength. God is going to turn it around for his people who will obey him. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the eternal your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately. Former rain started around October and ended around January. The latter rains come from January, and the last significant ones come in April normally in this land, and even in the Middle East. He will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. I think we could say right now, ourselves right here, that God has given us a certain amount of rain, somewhat moderately, yes or it says, in my margin according to righteousness. We have been given a lot of understanding that a lot of people simply don't have. We come, they have come to understand some parts of the Bible that other people have not grasped. And I think God has opened those to us. It's not because we're smart, and it's not because we're necessarily righteous. God has a purpose for us out here, and if we fulfill that purpose, he will continue to give us more. I think that he has also uh, given us even physical blessings beyond what some people in America have today. Not yet in abundance like this is talking about. But You know, out here we don't have mortgages, do we? We don't have to worry about losing our houses all that much, do we? They may not bounce to much, may not be very pretty, may not be new McMansions, but they're not going to come take them away from us. Well, I mean, not right away. <laughs> There'll come a time, but we're prepared for that. So if you don't have an $800,000, 900000 $1,500 mortgage, it makes it easier to get by on what little income you have, doesn't it? Most of our cars still run, but are paid for. Not all of them, but most of them. So it doesn't take near as much to live. may not live as high, but those people out there who are living high are not going to live high much longer. It's all going to be taken away. But God showed us to get out of the rat race in the city, to come out here and live in whatever we could put together and would be a lot better off than those people who are now going to be moving out of their houses and have no place to go. So, think about it. We have people of essentially like understanding belief. We can help one another, we can strengthen one another. We have a little community of God's people. And that's more than a lot of people have today in the Church of God. So, the blessings may not just be hand over fist yet, but I think that we could clearly say that there has been at least moderate blessing. I consider it great blessing in many respects, but it's nothing compared to what can come if we will do what God tells us to do. He says, I'll give you the former and the latter rain in the first month. So whether it's this year or next year or the year after or whenever, God promises incredible blessing, like all the rain comes at once in the first month. Now, I've been watching for several years now, to wonder if this is the year. Well, I don't know whether this is the year or not. I, I think there's a possibility of that. We won't know till the first month, will we? It's only actually about three weeks away now. So, and it lasts 30 days, 29 or 30. Will so I pass over during it? But I'm seeing this nation on a slide now that it doesn't appear it can come out of. You know, we've had our recessions before and we've had our ups and downs before as things have slowly gotten worse. But now it appears to be a cascade where we're trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. We have no way of recovering. And now they're going to lower the interest rate, it looks like, on Tuesday, another half or a full percentage point on federal, not, well, federal reserve funds, private banking funds that they'll loan out. And what does that do? It causes the dollar to weaken much more rapidly. Because people who are buying U.S. securities and treasury bonds and so on will get less return on it, so it makes the dollar even less desirable to them than it is today. And they're beginning to sell oil for euros and rupees and various other uh, uh, monies rather than dollars we are fast on our way to becoming a third- or fourth-rate nation. And there is no way to stop it. God says it's coming. these things are on the wall. They're there. They're starting to happen. Serious times we're in. But for those who will obey him and will do what God says in this chapter... He'll give us the former and the latter rain in the first month, and the floor shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. Prosperity. I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. Now this is speaking just of the church, not of the nation right now. God scattered the church and punished it first. He will return blessing to it first. He is about to start scattering the nation And it will not be until the millennium that he returns blessing to physical Israel. So everything is happening in order. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the eternal your God that has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. When our nation is going into great shame and death and suffering, God's people will be coming out of it will be going the opposite direction from what the world is going. Now, I don't know whether he may let us suffer through the beginnings of this for a while, just as he did in Egypt. Remember, he didn't make a separation in the plagues for some time. Third or fourth plague, I think it was, before God separated it. So you and I are already paying high prices for gas and wheat and milk. And this may go on for some time before God makes a separation and makes a difference. I don't know how long, but it is coming. If we will do what we're supposed to do. You'll eat in plenty and be satisfied, not be ashamed. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the eternal, your God. No question about it. And the Gentiles won't even say, where is their God? Because they can see, too, that we will have be, be, be being blessed. I will pour out my spirit upon all, uh, no, let's see. Later on, it says, as you come to pass afterward, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. So there's the former and latter rain is coming first, and then later, he's going to pour out his spirit, young men and women will dream dreams and so on, as Acts 2 says, and Peter thought that was happening, and it was in a minor fulfillment. But the biggie is yet to come. So God is going to begin to bless the obedient right away. Now let's go back to Deuteronomy, and I'm going to turn through and read you some various things about the rains, because if we're going to fast about this, we're going to pray about it, (coughs) the more educated our prayers can be, the better off we'll be. We are to pray according to God's will, you know. He says, if you ask anything in my name, according to my will and purpose, it will be given you. So we need to know his will, his plan, his purpose, what he plans. And therefore, if we know that, we can pray in accord with what he desires to do. So let's pick it up in Deuteronomy 11. Therefore, you shall love the eternal, your God, and keep his charge and his statutes and his commandments always. For you know this day, for I speak not with your children which have not known, and which have not seen the chastisement of the eternal your God, his greatness, his mighty hand, his stretched out arm, and his miracles, and his acts, which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land. I'm speaking here, first person to people who were there. Not to their children, but the ones that were there. Moses is speaking. And what he did to the army of Egypt, to their horses, their chariots, how he made the water of the Red Sea to overflow them as they pursued after you, and how the Eternal has destroyed them to this day. So Moses is saying, listen, people, you were there, you saw what God has done. Now we're many, many generations removed from that, aren't we? And yet God tells us he's going to do things here at the end time that will make us forget the Red Sea. They will be so powerful. Verse 5, and what he did to you into the wilderness, till you came to this place, and what he did to others. Verse 7, your eyes have seen all the great acts of the eternal which he did. Therefore, and don't we know God? We should know God by now, and I hope he knows us. Therefore you shall keep all the commandments which I command you this day, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land where you go to possess it. They were about to go into a promised land. And God has promised us that he will take us to a place that he has promised, a place where we will build villages without walls. There will be much men and cattle and much blessing there just before the end. And it will be near Zion, which is a place of refuge. So God has promised his remnant people. There are only a very, very few of us here now, but 10% of the church, of what was the church, I believe, will be here before long because they're going to see not what you and I do because we're poor, pitiful, weak human beings, but they're going to see the acts of God when he pours out his blessings and when he delivers and they're going to come a-running. They're not going to get on a plane and go to Petra. They're going to come here and build Jerusalem, and build the temple of God. That's what we are commissioned to do. You and I, I think, are a preparatory crew to get it ready to do that, to establish a spot for them to come. So the similarity between what he is saying to these Israelites about to go into the promised land, and what we are about to uh, experience are very similar. So these, these scriptures are very alive for us today. Be strong, and that you may prolong your days in the land. Most of the people we know in this country, our friends, our relatives, neighbors, are going to die. But we can prolong our days in this land. The land which the eternal swore to your fathers to give them to their seed, a land that flows with milk and honey, for the land where you go in to possess it is not as the land of Egypt from where you came out, where you sowed your seed and watered it with your foot as a garden of herbs. But the land where you go to possess it is a land of hills and valleys and drinks water of the rain of heaven. They had to irrigate. God is going to give us the rain. A land which eternal your God cares for. The promised land. The land he cares for. The eyes of the eternal, your God, are always upon it, from the beginning of the year even to the end of the year. Isn't it nice to know that you're living in a place that has God's eyes on it all through the year? Now, that sets it apart from most of the rest of the land of this earth because God says, my eyes are right there upon this land. That means that they're not everywhere else all the time. But he cares for it, and he keeps his eye on it. It shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently to my commandments, which I command you, to love the Eternal your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Where was Joel quoting from when he wrote what he wrote? That I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your corn and your wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your cattle that you may eat and be full. I look forward to the day. I don't have to buy hay, but there'll be hay, there'll be grass for the cattle, the goats, the sheep to eat. Verse 18, Therefore shall you lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. Keep the focus, that if we obey God and serve him with all our heart, he will bless us. Keep that focus right before your eyes. And you shall teach them your children. Gather the children, Joel says. Teach them. Speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. Write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Do we talk about God's way and the blessings that God will give if we will serve and obey Him to our children? Sometimes you have to turn the knob on the TV or the remote, punch the button that says off, and sit and talk about the things of God and what God will do for those who will obey him and serve him, and all the ramifications of our lives, because this is not just a religion. It is a way of life. Everything we do should be done the way God wants it done. And we are supposed to teach our children God's way of life, the life that will, pro- will provide happiness, security, strength, good marriages, properly trained children. Those are things that we're supposed to talk with our children about. I don't mean sit and lecture them about you better do good or I'll bump you. That's a lecture, that's not a talk. That's not teaching. We need to have the way of God so much in our hearts and minds and through reading his word every day that we can sit and talk with our families about what's the best way to do this, the best way to do that, how would God want this done, you know, If you turn to God with your whole heart, it means you have to turn away from some of the things of this world that get in the way of doing things the way God wants them done. Now, this is a section here about blessing and cursing. And he's telling us what we need to do to be blessed instead of cursed. With these, the way of God is everything. You know... Why fight it, brethren? We're human, we're natural, we're carnal. We want to do what feels and looks and is good to us, to the flesh. But God says, every knee is going to bow. The whole world is going to do it my way. I am going to destroy over 90% of the people on the face of the earth. Probably 100 million is all that will be left, according to Daniel. And they're going to see all the carnage and devastation and death all around them. They'll be humbled. Then they'll do it my way. Everybody that's left alive is going to have to do it God's way. And if they still rebel, Zechariah 14 says, they won't get any rain. The land will dry up. They will die of hunger and starvation until they come and say, where's the feast? God is going to have it his way. Now this world is bound and determined to go the other way from God. He is going to bless the few who will obey him right here at the end. The rest of the church is going into the tribulation. 90, 91% of it. The scriptures are so very, very clear about that. Most of them will die there. It is only the faithful, roughly 10% remnant that God is going to bring out and protect. I don't think any of us wants those doors to fly open and people come in and start with guns and swords ripping us in pieces. We don't want that. It's going to become very, very real in the next months and years when the American way of life is going to go away. It isn't going to be anymore. It is rapidly receding from us as we speak. Daily. And it won't stop until there is nothing left. We have to make some choices. Will we put aside our selfishness and our human nature and our desires and do it God's way, or will we insist on doing it our way? Do it your way, and you're headed for trouble. Do it God's way, and you'll be blessed of God and have everything you could possibly desire. Those of you who are 6, 7, 8, 10, 12, 13, 15 years of age now, are not going to go out into this world and get married. i not going to be here. The only way you have to have a marriage and children is do it God's way. Otherwise, you may come up in the second resurrection having died a very terrible death and have an opportunity then. But you're going to have to wait a thousand years. That's just the way it is. You're going to have to wait a thousand years in in the grave. And then see if you come up humble and ready to serve God. And if you do, then you can have a happy marriage and children in a beautiful world. So you can have it starting now, or you can have it in a little over a thousand years, but you're going to suffer a great deal in the interim. So make up your minds. But this nation... As we have come to know it, as I have lived in it all my life, the American dream and the American way and all the stuff we've talked about is going away. It isn't going to be here. There are not going to be TVs and VCRs. There are not going to be Walkman and whatever the latest is and iPods and all this stuff. They're going away. There won't even be food. But if you will obey God, verse 22, if you shall diligently keep all these commandments which, which I command you to do them, to love the Eternal your God, to walk in all His ways, and to cleave to Him, then will the Eternal drive out all these nations from before you, and you shall possess greater nations and mightier than yourselves. Every place whereon the soles of your feet shall tread shall be yours. Verse 25, there shall no man be able to stand before you, for the eternal your God shall lay the fear of you and the dread of you upon all the land that you shall tread upon, as he has said to you. I've set before you blessing and cursing. You choose. (laughs) And that's what he's going to do with his church. The two witnesses will instill fear into the nations of this land, of this world. All of them. And they will turn their water to blood and shut off their rain and bring plagues upon them as they see fit within God's purpose to begin to humble those people. God's people are going to be feared beyond comprehension. Because God will give the power and the protection. And he's going to do things that will make the Red Sea look like child play before this is done. Chapter 28, verse 12. The Eternal shall open to you His good treasure, the heaven to give the rain to you, the land in His season, To bless all the work of your hand, and you shall lend to many nations, and you shall not borrow. And the Eternal shall make you the head and not the tail, and you shall be above only, and you shall not be beneath. If that you hearken to the commandments of the Eternal your God, which I command you this day to observe and to do them. This is a chapter on blessing and cursing. And he says, If you'll obey me, I'll give you the rain in season, and you'll be blessed. So here another reference to the rains, the blessings that God will give. Verse 24, the eternal shall make the rain of your land powder and dust from heaven shall it come to you, to you be destroyed, that is, if you do not obey him. So blessing or cursing, one way or the other. Let's go to Jeremiah 3. Jeremiah 3. Here I'll pick it up in verse 1. <clears throat> they say, if a man put away his wife, and she go from him and become another's man's wife, shall he return to her again? Can you divorce her, she become some other man's wife, and then bring her back after she goes through all that? Shall he return to her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, says the Eternal. Lift up your eyes to the high places and see where you have not been laid with. In the ways have you sat for them as the Arabian in the wilderness just waiting for the lovers. Isn't that about the way our society has become today in this land? Where those who are the whores of the rich men can make millions within a week after the story hits? Now it's not all the blame of the girl. There are always beautiful young women around who will do anything a rich old man asks them to do for money and treasures and furs and diamonds and so on. Both are at fault. Better teach our girls. Better teach our old men. Better teach our politicians. And you've polluted the land with your whoredoms and with your wickedness. Therefore, therefore, The showers have been withheld, and there has been no latter rain, and you have had a whore's forehead. You refuse to be ashamed. Remember the proverb that says the the whore wiped her mouth and said I've done no wrong? Hard-headed, not about to admit we're wrong. As a nation, we're not going to admit the American way of life is a satanic way of life. We're not going to do it. God is going to have to destroy this country. Jeremiah himself even says in another place, don't even pray for this nation. It won't do a bit of good. They will not repent. Now you have the Spirit of God. And with the Spirit of God, you can repent. We can change, brethren. We don't have to be like this world is because God is going to stop the rain on them. But he he will bring it to us if we'll obey. Let's go to James 5. Here he says, begin verse 1, Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Well, that one hit the governor of New York this week, but it's talking to all of them and to all of us. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped up treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, cries. Isn't that the way it is in this nation? The great monopolistic megacorporations are taking it away from us. They take it away from the old people. They're dumbing down the young people so we'll become dumb dums as the arrow type was at Gordon was talking about. So that we can't have anything and take away what you do have by fraud. The cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the eternal, of the Sabbath. (coughs) God hears the (coughs) cries of the spiritual Israelites who have been mistreated by the ministry and of the physical Israelites who have been mistreated by the politicians one and the same you've lived in pleasure on the earth this nation is based on pleasure thrill of the moment gotta have it now whatever it is you've been wanton that is ungodly sexually, morally, emotionally in every way you've nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter you've had anything you wanted just like we were slaughtering cows and you got the best cuts. You've lived in pleasure, you've condemned and killed the just, and he doesn't resist you. This is the way this world has been, that's the way we've been. Be patient, therefore, brethren, to the coming of the eternal. Behold, the husbandman waits for the precious fruit of the earth, and has long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. You think James had read Joel? Yes, he had. Talks about it here. He talks about a time when God's people would obey him and be blessed to be patient and wait and serve God and not be like the world around you, he said, and you'll receive the former and the latter rain. So here is New Testament uh, confirmation that what Joel was saying was correct. Well, Peter confirmed it as well in Acts 2, thinking it was the final fulfillment of that, but it was only a partial. So the story is laid out in several places in the Bible that if we'll obey God and serve him and be patient and go his way, we'll have the former and the latter reign. (coughs) And Joel adds the detail, it'll come in the first month. first month of which year is the only thing in question. What time is it? I'm still Okay. I'll try not to keep you too long today. <laughs> Let's go back for a moment to Psalm 80. We sang this psalm today in the opening of the service, Psalm 80. In fact, it's uh, pages 60 and 61 in the hymn book. There's two uh, hymns written about it. Someone came up to me just before the service. At, they don't know, just before the sermon. They came back after. We'd sung the song and said that in that sermon that I gave in, 90, I think, 97 at Pentecost, that I'd said, we ought to sing Psalm 80, the time we fast, about this. I said that in that sermon back then. And today, the song leader just happened to pick that song out. No one knew where I was going in the sermon today at all except me, and I wasn't sure. So I certainly didn't tell him, but he picked that one out and we sang it. I think that is ironic and interesting because it has to do with what we're talking about today. Psalm 80, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you that lead Joseph like a flock, you that dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. That's what we've been wanting, is God to shine forth, to turn his head to us instead of away from us as he said he has done turned his face from the church. Can't stand the way we have been as Laodiceans. He wants us to change. Before Ephraim and Benjamin, Manasseh, stir up your strength and come and save us. We're about to see, we've seen the church blown apart. Now we're about to see our nation blown apart. And it's happening right before our very eyes as things get worse. Come and save us. Our only hope And the only hope we should really want is God. When all this comes down on this country, as it's starting to do, God is the only place we have as a refuge. The only one that can save us from the terrible things that are about to happen. People in this country are going to eat their own children. They'll be so hungry. It has been done in Israel before. It was done in Warsaw, Poland during World War II. And it will be done in this country. As soon as a baby is born, the mother will eat the afterbirth and then they will eat the child. That's how bad it's going to get. Do we need saved or not? Turn around or turn us again, O God, and cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. So what's the first step? Pray. Ask God. Turn your face to us is the prayer. That's what Joel is talking about. Turn to God and then ask for his blessing. O eternal of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? God has been angry with his church and chastened it. But he said, I will turn and I will relent and I will repent and I will change it. You feed them with the bread of tears and give them tears to drink in great measure. Isn't it frustrating? I would think it would have to be to all these splinter groups of worldwide who are preaching, preaching, preaching and expecting blessing and all their books and literature and everything they send out doesn't accomplish much of anything. Just falls on deaf ears. Isn't it frustrating when you're working at something and nothing happens? I like when I work for something to happen. If I'm trying to build something, I like for it to happen. I don't like it when I miscut boards and turn nails over and drill the heads out of the screws and nothing will go together. I like it when I cut it right and it fits and it goes together. Now, isn't it frustrating to you and me, even with the understanding we have of what happened to the church that we still haven't really had God turn with His full blessing and favor in a way that we can feel. Isn't it frustrating to still have physical maladies and not be healed? Isn't it frustrating to have, to go to work and have pockets with holes so that your wages don't cover all the bills? Isn't it frustrating to be trying to turn from this world And yet it follows us and hangs on to us. It's entertainment, it's music, it's ways, it's thoughts, it's everything about it that is so hard to come away from. Isn't it difficult and frustrating? It is to me. You make us a strife to our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. We have people laughing at us, those idiots out there in the desert. Doesn't that hurt a little bit? We think we know the truth. We think we know what we need to do. But the rest of the church laughs at us. Maybe we don't hear their laughter because they don't even pay enough attention to even let us hear it. For the most part, I hear a little bit now and then. Verse 7, Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. There's a second request, isn't it? right here in this chapter, verse 3 and verse 7. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You've cast out the heathen and planted it. God brought us out of the sin of this world, planted us out here, but we haven't been given everything we would like yet by any means, have we? We're still in this condition. You prepared room before it and did cause it to take deep root and fill the land. The hills were covered with a shadow of it. The boughs thereof were like the goodly cedars, going to happen. Remember Ezekiel 17? God is going to take a small twig from the top of the tree. After Worldwide is gone, after all that Joseph Tkach and Joseph Jr. did are destroyed and withered and die. then God is going to clip a small branch and plant something in the desert. Seven trees in the wilderness, according to Isaiah 41. It'll fill the land, and it'll be a tall tree that God planted, not a vine that spread all over the earth and turned to its leader, Herbert Armstrong or Jodah Koch, not to God. So this is saying the same thing really that Ezekiel 17 does. She sent out her boughs to the sea and her branches to the river. Why have you then broken down her hedges, so that all they which pass by the way do pluck her? This nation's headed down, and everybody's going to pluck what they want out of it. They're going to foreclose on this nation because we owe so much money. Sixty-five trillion dollars, last count. That's Isaiah 5 for you. God says, I'm going to break down the hedge around my vineyard and let the foxes eat it. That's the Edomites. And those rich Edomite bankers are having their way with us right now. The boar out of the wood does waste it, and the wild beasts of the field does devour it. We won't have it anymore. The wild beasts will come in and take everything that's left. Could be Gentiles, not just wild beasts on four legs. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and behold and visit this vine and the vineyard which your the vineyard which your right hand has planted. He started the church. It's God's church. And the branch that you made strong for yourself, it is burned with fire, it is cut down. Look at the church, and look where the nation is headed. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man whom you made strong for yourself. God is going to make some people strong in this end time for his purposes, for himself. So will we not go back from you? Quicken us, and we will call upon your name. Third request, turn us again, O eternal God of hosts. And cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. Echoes the words of Joel 2. Echoes the words of James 5, of Deuteronomy 11, of Deuteronomy 28, and various other scriptures. Uh, Zechariah 10. I did this one in Bible study. I want to quickly touch on it. I'll try to wrap this up pretty soon. I know we're fasting, and I know it's hard to sit and listen and concentrate. Your mind tends to wander worse than usual. Zechariah 10. Ask you of the eternal rain and the time of the latter rain? Coincides with Joel 2. So the eternal shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to every one grass in the field. For the idols have spoken vanity and the diviners have seen a lie and have told false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore they went their way as a flock They were troubled because there was no shepherd. And God is against the shepherds, but he will strengthen. Those who will turn to him are going to be blessed with all kinds of rain here at the end. And this is pre-millennial, it's not the millennium. Christ doesn't return until Zechariah 14. Hosea. This is a book written primarily toward Ephraim, which is the United States, I firmly believe at this point. It's not Manasseh. Manasseh just doesn't fit the United States. Uh, Hosea 6, verse 3. Well, let's start at the beginning. Come and let us return to the eternal. That's what we're calling for today. For he has torn, and he will heal us. He has smitten, and he will bind us up. God is the one that spewed the church out and the one that's about to spew physical Israel out. (coughs) And he's the only one that can fix it. After two days will he revive us, and the third day he will raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. That's a specific prophecy. I don't know exactly what it means. Then shall we know, if we follow on, to know the eternal. His going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come to us as the rain, as the latter and former rain to the earth. If we turn to God, he's going to give us the former and the latter rain. God wouldn't mention this this many times if it wasn't important and if he didn't fully intend to do it. So we have it offered to us, all kinds of blessing and opportunity if we'll just do what he wants done. Isaiah, I mean, Psalm 65, verse 9. You visit the earth, and you water it. You greatly enrich it with the river of God, which is full of water. You prepare them corn when you have so provided for it. You water the ridges, therefore, abundantly, You set the furrows thereof. You make it soft with showers and bless the springing thereof. You crown the year with your goodness and your paths drop fatness. So blessings come from God Almighty. This nation is the promised land given to Abraham. It is the finest nation, the finest land with the most blessings of any land on earth. God said that it would be that way. He would give it to Abraham and to his seed. God said he would give us the fairest, best land on earth. That's what he told Abraham. Well, all I ask is, where are we? Are we in Central Africa? Are we in Southeast Asia? Are we in the Middle East? No, we're right here. This land is the best land, the most productive land on the face of the earth, or at least it has been, but it is quickly going to fade now. God said that within this land, in Ephraim, he is going to bless his people. I won't take time to go to all those places. Jeremiah 14. Jeremiah 14. Uh, Here, let's get verse 22. Jeremiah 14, 22, Are there any among the vanities of the Gentiles that can cause rain? Are the Gentiles going to bless this country, bless us? Or can the heavens give showers? Are not you he, O Eternal, our God? Therefore we will wait upon you, for you have made all these things. God is the maker of heaven and earth, and he can send the rain. He can bless us. And He's promised. He's told us, if you will turn to Me with all your heart and obey Me, I will bless you. And we have to patiently wait until that happens. Whether it be this year or next, I don't know. Song of Songs, we don't go there very often. See if you can find it. Song of Songs. Uh, I want chapter 2, verse 10. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of the birds has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Happens in the springtime. Here you'll hear those things in April. There'll be doves out here on the ground and flitting around now within a month. <coughs> and things will be coming to life. The rains are essentially done. We may get a few more. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of the singing of birds has come and the voice of the turtle doves heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs. The vines with a tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Oh, my doves that are in the clefts of the rock, in the secret places of the stairs, why did God bring us out to this rocky land and put us in the Grand Staircase National Monument, I ask you? Let me hear your voice, for sweet is your voice and your countenance is comely. God wants to hear our voice, brethren. He wants to hear it in the springtime. He wants to hear it in the secret places of the stairs. And he says he will come and meet his bride in the secret places of the stairs. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Foxes are known in the Bible as Edomites. Christ called Herod that fox because he was half Edomite. And the prophecy is that in the end time, Esau would overcome Jacob. God is going to bless his few, his remnant, and they will have blessing in spite of the Edomites who are going to destroy the financial system of this nation and send it into absolute poverty. we have an incredible opportunity and blessing before us. Isaiah 55. Even as we see things coming apart, we've already experienced that in the church. Now we're seeing it come apart in the nation. And as it comes apart in the nation, God has said he will save us out of it. We will do what he asks us to do. <clears throat> Isaiah 55. Well, 54, I've been there many times. Sing, O barren that you did, that did not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud that you did, you did, did I can't even talk anymore. You that did not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, says the eternal. <coughs> God is going to bless those who have chosen to be desolate, <coughs> to go to the land of desolation, and they'll be blessed there says, Enlarge the place of your tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of your habitations. This is right after the chapter on Passover in 53, that God is going to begin to gather his people. He's going to begin to bless his people. He says he'll keep those who would war against us and fight us away from us, down in the old verse 17, the end of it, and that God's people would have righteousness from him. Then in 55, he says, Everyone that thirsts, come to the waters. He that has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. The zero, the dollar is going to zero, as forecast by that man on CNBC or wherever it was last night. People's money will be thrown in the streets, as Ephaniah 1 says. But God says he will bless his people, and they can come and eat without money won't have to have money because the blessing will come from God. Won't that be an incredible thing when no one else can buy anything with their money? In Zimbabwe right now, inflation is 3,000 percent a year and going up faster than that. There's very little left in the stores to buy. People are starving to death and they're beginning to flee into South Africa and other places because there's nothing to eat their money is virtually worthless it's getting like it was in the third reich where it takes a wheelbarrow full of money to buy a loaf of bread if you can find one (coughs) and that's the way it's going to be right here real soon but God says for those who will obey him they'll have wine and milk without money Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which satisfies not? Hearken to me and eat that which is good and let your soul delight in fatness. Let's go on down to verse 10. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and returns not there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Now God has given his word and to us, and if we will heed and respond, we're going to have these blessings he's talking about in this chapter. But most of the nation and most of the world will not heed his word, and he is going to have to stomp them into the dirt before they will listen. But God will not let his word be void. All Israel shall be saved, as Romans 11 says. But boy, what is it going to take for God to save Israel? He's going to have to kill most of them. Absolute, total humiliation and death before they'll listen to God. What does it take for human beings to get rid of their stiff, stubborn neck, And listen to God. What does it take? Well, for the most part, that's what it takes. But for you, with the Spirit of God, you should be soft and pliable in the hands of the Master Potter. Willing to listen and willing to change. Willing to do what God says and then be blessed. Every knee will bow. You can bow your knee to God and worship him willingly, or you can have it broken. Just, you know, we've got to make up our mind. His word will not return to him void. It will accomplish what he wants it done. Whatever he has to do to you to get you to bow before him. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the eternal for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And this, for the few, for the remnant, the faithful, is premillennial. It's millennial for those who have to die first. Or great white throne judgment for those who have to die. There'll be a few who survive what is coming, and they'll go into the millennium. But it applies first to us, second to those in the millennium, and thirdly to those who die and everything that's going to happen and come up in the second resurrection. So you can have blessings soon now, or you can go through the tribulation, and if you make it, go into the millennium and be blessed there. Or you can die a horrible death, and if you're not losing your chance now, You can come up the second resurrection and have an opportunity then. Because that's what God is doing. That's His plan. I prefer not to go through all that's happening. Four dollars a gallon for diesel is enough for me. I don't want to pay five, six, seven, eight. I may have to for a while. I don't want to go without food. Now is it worth it to wring the sin out of my mind and my heart? It's painful. It's hard. It's hard to get rid of selfishness. It's hard to do things God's way. But we simply have to do it. That's all there is to it. We have been offered blessing beyond anything we can imagine. So we're here to fast today, to pray, to rend our hearts, to turn to God with all our hearts, to take care of our neighbors, to live righteous lives. And God says he will bless us and give us the former and latter rain in the first month. So, brethren, let's do our best to follow through. I thought it good today to just spend some time on this to show various scriptures where God says he will bless if we will do what we're supposed to do. Yeah, we threw in some about the curse that will come if we don't, but, you know, we need a little bit of a board in the behind and a little bit of the carrot in our face. We need both. So uh, let's respond to the carrot so we don't have to get more of the board. That's all I can say.